0: GM, GM, you know what it is. Welcome to Flywheel, your number one source for everything Frax DeFi and everything in between. If you want to know what's going on in the world on chain, you've come to the right place. This is DeFi Dave here with Capital K, and we are here to help you harness the power of the flywheel. And on this episode, we get into the stack. We get creative because in the world of proof of stake, it brings whole new element whole new set of variables that one may consider uh when rehypothecating refinancializing these uh lsds and kit i'll let you preface this conversation we had with tuna mccain of ion protocol because we get super technical on this one and so before we dive in i think our listeners and our viewers at home should get a little bit more context correct So we're going
1: to be talking about Ion protocol and effectively they have two product lines. The first one is a, think of it as like a data layer. They are almost like an oracle for the beacon chain. But aside from just querying, you know, how much ETH is in a validator, they would also query say, what kind of tech stack the validator is using. And there's a term called DVT which stands for Decentralized Validator Technology. So as the name suggests, it's a set of parameters that determines what type of technology the validator is utilizing in their running of the nodes. So that's the first product. So it acts as an oracle that will pull in these parameters. And it's not just like, you know, the quantity or what kind of tech stack, but also like, uh, where the validator has been, what kind of historic performance the validator has. So it's much, much more and much more robust. But that's product number one. And why is that important? Well, if with proof of stake becoming more and a larger and larger, larger portion, or rather more stakers coming online, ergo more validators coming online, we need to find a way to make sure that these validators are up to par. And not only that, they're good actors in the space and we have a provable way to show and track these parameters that is ion protocols' data layer now to dog food themselves they decided to build the very first product out uh, all eth a-l-l-e that is a lending protocol to utilize the data oracle that they've created so they're dogfooding themselves and we'll get deeper into how this product works during the pod but for now just think of it as a way for a LSD token holder say Steph, S Frax ETH or whatnot to borrow against their validators, and it is effectively liquidation risk free, given that it's not tracked to price, or rather, it's price liquidation risk free because it's not linked to price, but rather it's linked to like the slashing
0: or the reducing of the quantity of ETH, not the price of ETH. TLDR, Ion Protocol introduces a new way to underwrite LST loans based on validator risk instead of traditional DeFi economic risk. That's how I put it. All right, before we get into this episode, full disclosure, I am a small angel investor in Ion Protocol. originally met Chunda in Montenegro at Zuzulu. Thought what he was doing was great, so went and put in my support. But without further ado, let's get into this episode. But before we do, make sure you go and subscribe to our YouTube. Do that right now. Hit that bell button. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Give us a like. Make sure you follow us on the big three Twitter, TikTok, Telegram. That's T cubed at Flywheel DeFi. You heard that right. At Flywheel DeFi, Te- Telegram, Twitter, TikTok, DTT. Make sure you subscribe to us uh, at our website, flywheeldefi.com. Acquire exclusive access to show notes and more with a friend tech key of flywheel DeFi. make sure you know go and support us and you can follow me on twitter at DeFi Day 22 follow me at 0x capital underscore k shout out chuck beard for the fan thank you and let's get the flywheel spinning do you hold eth but don't know what to do with it? Want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields, but don't know where to start? Well, Frax ETH is there for you. Frax ETH is Frax's native LSD solution, allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your ETH. If you want to get started, go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into FraxEath today. All right, everyone. We're so back, we're so back. It's Flywheel, I'm your host, Defi Dave, I'm here with Capital K, who is absolutely thriving at KBW. Look at that champ! <laughs> Look at that smile. He is, he is glowing right now. <laughs> um, this week, this week needs to be over. Before, <laughs> 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 if it was a like Korean blockchain month, <laughs> but but uh, without further ado, I am really really excited with this episode because we have on Mister chunda mccain who is the founder of ion protocol who i think is probably one of the most articulate people in the space um like when i first uh, chunda when Thank i first you met face. you uh, no, i know I'm, I'm i'm being genuine i'm being serious but i first met you in uh montenegro at zuzulu and like we were talking i didn't know what i was like getting into when you were talking about like ion and like what you were like building and then the way you explained it it just made sense and you were just so eloquent and simple with your delivery and how you explained it i was like oh, like this, this is like obvious. And like, I was like, looking. I was just like, and then I was just like, like, how can I support? And I ended up like being like a small angel. Cause I was just like super impressed with what you were building. And like, I knew I wanted to have you on the pod at some point and it was just waiting for the right timing. And the, now the time the stars have aligned, uh, astrology has told me no, not really. I'm just The stars have aligned you to come on right now. Uh, so Chunda, thank you for joining us we can get right into thank it. you
2: thank you for having me Dave. yeah appreciate um, it i've been the one yeah. hop on since uh i saw the interview with charlie uh um, and ever since that i was like yo this seems dope i gotta i gotta <laughs> i gotta spend some time
0: yeah you gotta hop on the flywheel and we gotta keep it spinning uh sorry yes, and so like for the people who uh, may not know who you are and what you're up to uh can you give a, a little bit of an introduction about yourself and how you be, became so interested in and liquid staking tokens in particular
2: yeah so i mean we can do we can do the long story we can do uh the short story of just like how i got into things uh, or how i got into ion in particular um yeah. but uh, i'll kind of do the mid story i'll make the long the part mid, uh, yeah, short the story, and yeah. then yeah i'll make the long part short and then uh, the the short part go a little bit more in depth um so in terms mark? of kind of <laughs> in terms of how i got into kind of like the whole crypto space in general um I about back to a very young age, uh, back in 2015, I was like 12, 13 at the time, um, and then kind of follow along the ecosystem, and then got really serious into it, um, like in the 17, 18 era, like for the DeFi, on um, kind of like the whole uh, growth of specifically like actually lending markets, which kind of comes full circle, um, like my first foray to, um, like even finals into a close um in like close proximity was learning about like ai uh ways of like analyzing credit risk without dependency on like fico scores um and then you know writing white papers about like peer-to-peer lending protocols and potential like uh purple design for them and so that was kind of like the genesis of of like me wanting to get into the crypto space and learning about d5 and kind of the rest and kind of from that done a, a whole bunch of spattering various different things. Spent time as an engineer, did like product BD work. Uh, worked as a VC for a short amount of time, and really the inflection point for for when I really like thought about and started uh, thinking about like Ion as it exists now um, was during kind of like my last role when I was working um, doing DeFi focused research at Blockchain Capital. Um, I was there when we led on um, the EigenLayer A round and seeing Eigenlayer kind of like close up, because at that point, you know, the white people was in public, um, you know, Trurum had talked to like four or five events like throughout the past year before that about Eigenlator. Um, So not really that many people uh, had a concrete understanding of the problem, having implications it would have on the ecosystem. Um, but really like our time kind of doing diligence on the Eigenlayer deal and kind of understanding not only the value proposition of Eigenlayer, but kind of the machinations of like how it would work and the implications that would have um, on kind of the staking space and the liquid staking space as as a proxy uh, made me realize that you know there is a lot more that needs to be built um, in order to support this future where restaking is a future where this like active financialization of staked assets excuse me is going to be the future. Um, and so at that turn of, at the turn of the year um, started kind of shaping out the beginning of what would now become why
0: Oh, that's really cool so you saw what was cooking at eigenlayer while you were at blockchain capital and you realized, hey there needs a lot be a lot more infrastructure that needs to be built to support restaking uh and whatnot and like different types of uh fun things you can do with liquid staking tokens
2: 100 yeah um
0: there's so many different directions we can go but we can go into ion and then we can go how ion fits into eigenlayer so um for like those who are unfamiliar um you know what is Ion protocol? How does it work? And how does it unlock capital efficiency for LSTs?
2: Yeah, I understand. So, Ion effectively, and I like to split it up into two things there's the primitive side of it, and then there's the product. Um, and the primitive is really what enables a product to be really exciting and really be performant. So, the primitive of like what the fundamental type that Ion is based on, um, in one sentence, it's Ion uh, as a fundamental piece of tech is focused on. Building a scalable platform to underwrite uh, validator-backed assets without dependency on traditional like underwriting models, right? So, what does that actually mean? Um, I think like the the first thing to ask is, okay, what does it mean like credit risk in DeFi, and why would you even like look into analyzing credit risk for validator-backed assets independently? So, traditional DeFi, right? We are f- mostly familiar with. Uh, lending protocols and and the common architecture around money like makers, obvious compounds, um, and all of those uh, kind of products are all the collateral types um, and how we determine things like LTV and and interest rate curves and uh, the kink and and uh, utilization rates and optimal utilization, so on and so forth. It's all on the basis of the depth of secondary market liquidity and and price and price stability, to be specific, right um, and. When you kind of look at um, validator-backed assets, uh, whether they're LSTs or restaking positions, um, the idea of the redeemability of these assets and like the creditworthiness is a lot less a, a function of the depth of the secondary market liquidity post withdrawals, and it's more about like, can I redeem uh, the constituent value of this asset into the Beacon Chain for what it's worth in a validator somewhere, right? Um, but not a lot of protocols currently really focus on being able to identify that redeemability and being able to understand the implications out of that redeemability when you add on additional slashing parameters like uh, protocols such as that. And so um, what we wanted to do was essentially build like a trustless um, data pipeline end to end, where we are able to read um, validator specific information, things like data directly from the consensus layer as well as things about validator hardware setups, like whether or not we're using a trusted execution environment or TEE, whether or not you're involved in a DVT cluster, whether or not you're um, using a certain client or, or running certain relayers that you accept all your blocks from. Um, and taking all this information, a trustless manner, so we use uh, CK State proofs as well as uh, we're going to be using other kind of cryptographic primitives to trustlessly import the data on-chain. Um, and we plug it into uh, a ZKML or a zero knowledge machine learning framework where we actually analyze and uh, effectively formulate credit risk profiles for different validators and groups of validators. And what we do with this information is we then take this information and say, okay, we have all this credit risk analysis. What do we actually do with it? Right. And that's where the product side comes in. The product side of ION is we build financial primitives that are on the basis of this credit risk analysis. So what a kind of beachhead first product is that that's coming soon is, is going to be a lending market where all of this traditional parameterization is instead of being price oriented, is actually replaced uh, with this uh, validator based credit risk analysis. And so things like interest rates, things like utilization, um, optimal utilization rates, things like your interest rate curves, things like your LTVs are all going to be determined on the basis of this analysis. And what this does for users is allow us to more capital efficient, um, underwrite those positions with ideally more minimal liquidation risk um, and being able to support a larger swap of assets, which ideally can be scalable to support uh, restaking platforms and restaking positions, which most likely will not have robust counterparty liquidity for a long time, especially with the kind of large amounts of permutations of various different slashing parameters that can be uh, implemented into these restaking platforms
0: as well. Yeah, um, I have a few questions from that whole explanation. Um, so like what exact methodology do you use for determining credit worthiness? You know, you mentioned like ZK pr- um, proofs of the Beacon Chain. You mentioned you were like looking to other cryptographic solutions. Like what, how do you like decide like which weights to use for for yeah. what? And then um the second question I had is, you know, you're coming out the lending market, but like what other things can be built with with uh like ion stack?
2: Yeah, 100 percent Both two very good questions. Um we did we definitely wouldn't be starting with so it was only just a market
0: that we could. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> so uh when it comes to the actual um kind of risk analysis, because so I'll start with that. Um yes that first. Um the most important thing that you want to effectively track or predict is the propensity of validators to get slashed and the corresponding economic impact of the slashing um, on the, what we call like the uh, entity in which those validators are part of. So when you think about um, like, what, what does that entity mean? um, It's more about like where you actually socialize risk um, and socialize losses to the user. So for um, traditional like providers, right? um, The entity is the provider itself, because if you hold um, let's for, say, for example, like Lido's STE, if a slash event were to occur, that um, event would be socialized uh, to all holders of that asset. So mm-hmm. uh, we focus on isolating um, uh, validators to these entity-based uh, um, kind of groups. And from these entity-based groups, uh, we use all of the, the kind of like disparate data points. So there's kind of two sections of different data points. Um, That we uh, aggregate. So, one is consensus layer information. So, this is information that's directly from uh, the Ethereum consensus layer where we pull things like attestation history, pull things like um, inclusion delay over time, we pull things like um, uh, how many, uh, what's your average reward, what's uh, like the penalties that you've ever incurred in the past. Uh, We argue all that information for all the validators in a given entity. Um, and then we also take in information about uh, validator steps. Um, and so this is more about things that an operator can choose to do with a validator. what client are you running, right what's your execution client what's your consensus client? Um, what kind of are, are you running a DVT setup? which provider are you using? who who are you splitting your keys to? Um, are you running a, it in a, in a trusted execution environment which trusted execution environment what is the software trusted execution environment? Right, not all these inputs are input into the law currently, but will be over time. Um, and from all of these inputs, we effectively um, kind of do an analysis where we compare um, the kind of historical performance of all these validators against each other, um, and look for trends in which the, in which we have validators with optimal uh, kind of positioning of uh, their setups um, being the ones that are deemed kind of like as a benchmark for being more creditworthy over time. And we kind of use, we generally use uh, these optimal setups as a, as a north star um, to compare against other validators and to effectively try to predict the propensity of, you know, the rest of the validators with kind of the diverse setup of validators. Because a lot of entities or riders run local operators, especially permissionless ones. We don't have thousands, or potentially even tens of thousands, of operators. Um, Effectively, we analyze all the disparate uh, kind of different setups that people have and then create a composite score that's kind of an aggregation of the probabilistic nature of any one of those values get slashed um, in that entire entity. And then that's where we map it to the lending platform. Um, Any questions about that? I can move over to like some of the other products that that we're thinking Uh, about as well. That was pretty thorough,
0: to be honest. Did you have a question, Kent? yeah I, get, definitely, yeah, I definitely got it. cues. I definitely got some cues. Uh, so, first of all,
1: no, 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 this is super interesting. But, you know, the, the moment you start listing out all of these parameters to me, I'm like, well, are all of these parameters easily verifiable? And could you have access to this? That's a good question. That's the right question. Yeah.
2: So, that's a great, great question. Are all these variables, e- Are all these parameters, easily verifiable? The answer is a resounding absolutely not <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. absolutely not <laughs> that is our job effectively that's Got why it. i, okay. I kind of separate ion into a primitive and a product because there is so much infrastructure yes. that needs to be built yes. Yes. Yeah, that's to like the first verify yeah, this to that's... verify these setups um so what can we verify um so for us, like even right now, uh, we have a, an internally working proof of concept for verifying validator balance, and so validator history, um, utilizing uh, ZKSD proofs of consensus layer information. Uh, so those things, any consensus layer derived data, most of it is pretty easy to verify um, on an irregular basis. Now, doing on a slot-by-slot basis and aggregating that many proofs gets really expensive really quickly. Um, doing it for 700,000 validators once a while, um, whether that's a day or a week is relatively manageable pricing-wise um, and speed-wise. Um, so a lot of consensus layer information is pretty easily verifiable. After the 4788 as well, where we're able to effectively create the beacon block for in the EVM, uh, it'll allow. Pretty much anyone to cross-reference and verify information. That's safe, big. Right?
0: Four seven eight. eight. Yes. Because right now yeah, you, four, can't, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> you can't. right
2: now. Right? <laughs> Wait,
0: there's no four. such thing as the decentralized validator. There's always some oracle.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, technically, like if you ran a full node and got the the state got uh, the the like root uh, from our proof, then you could cross-reference it if you're mm. running a full node. Most people aren't running for that. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in theory, you could verify now. It's just like the, the barrier to entry is a lot higher. Yeah. Um, but consensus data information theoretically by the end of the year, right? It, it should be pretty simple for most people if they wanted to cross verify it, do it. And then most of the cryptographic primitives are built um, slash, we're implementing for querying Pikachu state. So, that's kind of like not necessarily a perfectly solved problem, but we're mostly there um the one that's a lot more interesting is when you get to these other like things about like validator sets so uh, one great example um, i want to shout out the people at Puffer finance puffer, uh, workout, puffer. yeah we love yeah. the we love the puffer people um and they're working on their work out, they're working out this as well is finding ways to verify they have this thing called wreath i look it up in the docs called remote attestation verification um I forgot what the E stands for, but. <laughs> um, effectively, what, what you can do is um, they have a setup where you can actually remotely attest on-chain um, to the fact that you're using their trusted setups. Um, and they're actually going to be open sourcing this as something that the entire ecosystem can use. Um, and this essentially, not necessarily fully solves the problem for trusted execution environments, because there's a lot of different types you can use. Um, but this kind of open source software is a great starting point for building like trustless ways to verify um these types of validator setup informations um i know the Hobel team is working on like pvss uh where they have like a publicly verifiable secret sharing scheme uh, for their validators uh, and dbt setups um and then you know we're also working and chatting with a lot of these teams to kind of collaborate to make sure that once we do build these primitives out and we prioritize building these primitives out that they can actually be put to use in um, a legitimate product that that provides real value to
0: users. so um, so it's called Rave, what they're looking for at Puffu. That seems incredibly memeable. I know, right? Yeah. Well, it actually they they st- like the naming. Yeah. You know, you know, it actually stands for realizing alternative visions for Ethereum. That's what it stands for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: You're like, yeah. everyone will be yeah. running SGX.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you, should, you should let them know that's what it should stand for. <laughs> well, yeah. Yes. But anyways. Um, oh, got so, it. And, wait, kid, did you have uh, another question?
1: Did... Yeah. Well, let me just try to um, summarize it effectively all of these parameters would sooner or later be verifiable across all these different providers that that you had just mentioned and my my follow-up to that would be which of the parameters would you say are like the one that received the heaviest weighting because the way i'm thinking about this is like almost in like a credit score type yeah right if i don't pay my credit card bill and I get flagged with a late payment or a no payment, that's probably the worst one. And then the probably not so bad one would yeah. be if I had a recent credit check on my credit re- report, right? So just kinda scale to like the weighting here. Is is that kind of a right way to think about it? Or is every parameter important in um the setup?
2: Yeah, no, that that's a really important thing to to think about when it comes to um, how we're thinking about, like, risk analysis, right? Um, and so I can kind of tie into where what I think is actually the the, the strongest kind of uh, tech that yeah, you can please. use to actually abstract away this risk. Um, and really, the, the question you should then ask is, where does risk sit? Um, as we know, slashings are pretty rare events um, in validators on Ethereum. We can't really say about, you know, restaking platforms because we don't know yet. There's no precedent. Um, but, you know, with validators, historically, um, the biggest indicator of a slashing event is poor operator setups and operator error. Um, and so the question then is, well, how do you reduce that? And what are the things that are, are best at reducing that operator error? Two things. Um, and there are the things that you hear about a lot, or well, I feel like one well, we you hear about a lot, the other less so. Um, One of them is the use of trusted execution environments. So why? Um, Effectively, if you use trusted execution environments to uh, remotely attest uh, to uh, blocks um, and to store um, your signer keys, you actually abstract away ownership of um, your effectively like private key pair for the uh, validator to that trust execution environment. So you can actually uh, create a world where Every operator validator actually never gains access to the play text keys of that validator hardware, Um, meaning you greatly reduce the chance of operator error ever affecting um, that validator. Uh, So that's one, uh, the use of trust execution environments. The second, I think, um, is the one that everyone talks about, which is the use of DBT, right? Because with DBT, although it's not perfectly civil resistant, right, Uh, for verified operators who can, you know, attest to the fact that, you know, they're the ones who are running certain setups. Um, If you have multiple operators uh, managing, you know, a single validator uh, and then you require uh, like a threshold of them to enact any changes, well, the kind of screw ups of a single uh, operator in that system uh, is less likely to affect um, that, you know, cluster. Now, you can run into problems where you have if everyone's running the same client or uh, and you have like buggy client upgrades and things of that nature um you know you can still have some kind of exogenous risk that is imposed in ndbt clusters but you know um you do greatly reduce the risk of operator error ever affecting uh the your validator as a result so those two things like once we get more prolific adoption of both dbt and the use of tevs uh, for validator and just generally like any you know abs or middleware
1: operators i think will greatly reduce slashing the chances of slashing even more than they are today got it just so let me just summarize and then Dave, you could take the next question so the two main things are tevs and dbs or tevs trusted execution environments so it's like
0: yeah. like arizona Ice tea
1: right trust yeah, it's execution is like a golf tee yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah got it That's got sure, it yeah. so yeah and then the second point um what are the letters they are an acronym and what do they stand for dv dvt distributed validator technology
2: effectively it's using dkg or distributed key generation to split validator keys between multiple holders
1: got it okay those two are the most important got it i just need to do that too so that we can have a sound bite so that we can then (laughs) use it later we're perfect thank you for that
0: (laughs) okay go ahead okay okay so we got into the methodology and now we're going to go dive deep into the technicals of ion um how much infrastructure underlies ion currently and what is the purpose of the infra that exists now
2: yeah. So, what is the whole stack? Um stack? So we run we run a, a couple things, right? And hopefully, this will become yeah you know, even more in the future. Uh, we have like state proof setups where we essentially run our like zero knowledge um, state proofs to read Ethereum could sets state. And what happens is um, when we initiate, and then here's a little fun fact. I don't think we said this probably yeah, but um, when we initiate liquidations, it's off the basis of the amount of liquidity and a validator on the consensus layer that actually has nothing to do with the liquidity on the execution layer or like in an AMM, right? So that means zero exposure to price manipulation in secondary markets, uh, causing liquidations. Whoa. Um, And so that's, that's one really crucial part of the stack.
0: Can we, can you repeat that? So like the, could you unpack it as well? Yeah. So (laughs) you unpack it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. A hundred percent. So, you know, we really truly believe that the, Core value of any validator backed asset. So, asset of LSTs, restating positions, whatever, of which you can take from a validator and put it on chain. It's the value, or it's the ability for you to actually redeem that value from a validator in the consensus layer somewhere. And so, what we use is we use zero knowledge state proofs um, to verify the balance of the validators of your asset. And we only liquidate your position if that balance shifts below. You know the, the ideal LTV of that market, and so you never get exposure to price based uh, liquidations on the execution list. So it doesn't matter the amount of counterparty liquidity for in the AMM um, that your you know that your provider is supporting. They don't need to incentivize any liquidity as long as they have withdrawals enabled. We have a public registry of um, their withdrawals um, of like the withdrawal key and uh, where their validators sit on chain somewhere. We can effectively verify that your balance although it might take you know a little bit to have a withdrawal queue, is there to be redeemed, um and so you get to rest safe and understand that as long as your validator set isn't slashed you're well safe.
0: talk about capital efficiency right there
2: that's capital efficiency <laughs>
0: there's capital efficiency right there
2: <laughs> exactly Um uh, minimizing liquidation risk just as much as possible right
0: yeah
2: um so that's one part of the stack that's really important. The other part of the stack that um, is really important um, is the fact that we use uh, zero knowledge machine learning. Um, so we have a circuit that effectively, there's a zero knowledge circuit that effectively enshrines our compute uh, uh, system where we're analyzing all these different pieces of validator tech, um, and we are creating like these credit risk profiles. Which you know, you don't have to unpack these risk profiles and like make a decision yourself. We just say, okay, we have these credit risk profiles what's going to showcase to you as is an LTV on that on your asset it's going to be that interest rate curve um on uh that market right um and it's going to be uh isolated to those um to those assets and to those positions in a way that's like a lot more readable to you as a person um and then the third thing and the final thing is uh the way that we trustlessly verify all these data sources so that's a mix of you know custom circuits for custom signature schemes and like to like state proofs for consensus player data to so on and so forth. Um, But those are really the three crucial parts of infrastructure that we're building um, that enable Ion to work the way it does. I'd say the one more thing I'd make it three and a half is we run a lot of backend infrastructure um, that verifies all this in a more trusted way that we can track internally. just so uh, we have like backups um, just in case any of these proofs end up being faulty or you get you know certain um exploits or like you know uh concerns on consensus layer data um, or like bugginess and like clients or if we're pulling right. data from certain places um just in case uh so that way we can you know always make sure that we're posting uh the right data that's not going to affect you know, your yeah. position
0: decentralization is a journey not a sprint
2: that is true. The idea, <laughs> hopefully the end state is, you know, we plan on open sourcing most of this tech. So it'd be really great if other people could run the same systems that we do. And then we just like cross-reference and medianize the data, all of which is trustless. So you, you don't even have trusted oracles. You just have people running these trustless setups that we can verify. Just like, you know, Ethereum run on the this entire set of like trustless validators. Right? And that so. leads
0: to my next question so well. Um, how do we think about the role of trustless infrastructure when it comes to building in DeFi and LSTFi in particular?
2: Yeah, 100%. I think so. That's something we think about a lot at Aya. Because, and just in general, when when I thought about building in DeFi, like one of my biggest things that I thought was really important um, was making sure that you can build governance-minimized systems, meaning where governance is doesn't have to control every single small bit and piece of the protocol. Um, but only is used for, like, the big decisions that really matter. Um, While at the same time, not having to sacrifice complexity and sacrifice the ability to build uh, these, you know, really novel primitives that introduce these really kind of complex and interesting ideas. Um, And so I think, like, by building with trustless infrastructure is the only way that we can really take on some of the complexity that, you know, exists in Tradify and, like, the best practices of that things like... You know, hardware based credit risk analysis, which is super interesting, um, and bring that into DeFi without having to trust like a centralized party to effectively do that risk analysis all the time. Because eventually the end state is we'll open source that model, right? We'll allow other people in a, you know, cattle competition esque way to open source and contribute to that model. And because all of the data is derived from like trustless endpoints, you can effectively backtest um, an optimization to the model. Um, you could show on chain that it performs better than you know the previous model, and then it could just be voted or automatically added in um, as the new system that the uh, the protocol operates on. And so you you can see this end state where we can actually build these really complex and uh, primitives and uh, really complex pieces of protocols that can effectively be updated without any trust assumptions um, and without having dependency on like decentralized entities to do like Milutia tinkering um, as an entity.
0: Mm. So, uh, Kit, do you have uh, any questions? I'm good. Uh, did he freeze up? I think he's frozen. I know he's there. Um, so this leads actually well to my next question. I feel like this is flowing very well. Um, can so I feel like, do you feel like like a larger protocol could fork you guys? And like how do you incentivize like different protocols and different teams to like be more positive some and build w- and within ion instead of like forking like instead of forking it you know because can't like somebody yeah. like what if like Ave just decides like hey we're gonna have uh you know these a new type of lending market that you know underwrites validators and stuff um yeah because like, is that like possible to happen and or what are you, what are your thoughts on that
2: yeah, so I definitely think like with enough resources, anything is workable, right? Yeah, oh, I can't say that like any protocol can never fork any other protocol. Like mm-hmm. realistically, if Ave wanted to fork Boiler, they could, right? Yeah, they have the resources to do it. Um, even though they they I think Boiler has like open source licenses, not commercially or allows commercial forks. You know, if you have enough manpower, you can figure it out. Yeah. Um, and so I definitely think. Yes, right. Any protocol before any of it one. Um, do I? But the, the thing that makes me kind of feel secure, what we're doing is, one, uh, we're focusing on, on tackling an asset class as an entity, like restaking positions. I think, you know, no one else is really it doesn't really make sense for a protocol that is really well established to kind of extend themselves to take. Such a huge R and D load because there's a lot of R and D. Like we oh, mostly yeah. do R and D than anything else. Um, yeah. It's it's all like okay, how can we take traditional credit risk models and like uh, banks yeah. and like apply it here and stuff like that? Or like, or how do we prove the use of um, um the use of a, a certain relay or, or, or things like that? Right. So it's like a lot of R and D questions, a lot of R and D overhead. Um, to build out these systems. And it's like, yes, you could go through that process yourself. But if I am operating a successful multi-billion dollar protocol that will capture so much more liquidity um, as the market develops, and I have ways to kind of further my network effects already exist, why would I put in and dedicate so much labor and and so much time and effort into a market that isn't even tested yet? Yeah. And we're making that bet, obviously, because you know I have conviction and the Aegir team and this idea of restaking as as something that has that will have value in the ecosystem. But for somebody's building and, and running more established protocol, there's a lot of mouths to feed, and um, the kind of downside of making such a big bet is a lot more pronounced than it is for us. So I just think the economics and and kind of the, the downside from an operator perspective does certainly makes make sense. Now. Um, how do we incentivize people to kind of work with us instead of like, let's say, oh, other upcoming teams kind of forking what we do? I think for us, like, we're taking on like one of the most hardest and like high hanging fruit of what could be done in the restaking space. I think a great example of that is the growth of, uh, or the announcement of protocols, like, of what Stater is doing with uh, restaking, uh, like liquid restaking tokens and restake five, right? They're doing like liquid restaking tokens. Liquid restaking
0: um, tokens yeah exactly even... and that Whoa. oh yeah I mean, that's that a, the thing
2: yeah so it's, it's something that just cropped up which i think is a lot lower hanging for which is ask the question like okay we have liquid staking providers for you know regular Ethereum validators do we have liquid staking providers for staking operators well we don't so someone needs to build that infrastructure we kind of saw that coming we're like okay like we definitely think there's value in that, but we know that there are going to be a lot of teams who are better positioned to really spend, to like kind of pivot their infrastructure to build that. We want to tackle like one of the, what we think is one of the harder problems that if we truly believe there's an end state for this uh, for this tech and this market, um, that this will be necessary. Um, and again, it's all about kind of taking that outsized risk and telling the people who want to take the lower risk, like, hey, like we have done the RD, we have done the research, uh, we have taken the effort to think about these problems we'd love to like help you um, kind of get off the the ground with what you guys are working on. So that way we can go and support you with this kind of end state product that we're attempting to build. And so it's actually really uh, kind of valuable for a lot of these providers, um, even like the folks building liquid signal providers, like we love chatting with the stator team um, Mm -hmm. to be able to go to them and say like, Hey, like you guys are building out this new tech. We'd love to support it and you know, lots to enable you to actually gain some market share by being able to support like capital efficiency and and like the basic DeFi lending legos really for this type of asset. Um, so that, we we just really think like there's a lot of synergies with what we're doing. Just as this yeah. is like, I always could say there's a lot of synergies with just like building a money market in the first place back in <laughs> 2017. Right? And
0: speaking of, oh, that's right. And speaking of synergies uh, and building a lending market for validators, I can't help but to think of Frax and Frax 2 yes. <laughs> which is literally a lending market for, is described as a lending market for validators, AVE for validators. Um, so, you know, how do you envision, like, how do you envision yourselves, uh, you know, integrating the Frax ecosystem potentially? What would be your pitch to the Frax core team to, you know, integrate ION? You know, maybe you guys launched on Frax Chain. who knows, but like, what would be your pitch to <laughs> the Frax guys?
2: Yeah, so for us in the Frax guys, I think the Frax guys are actually working on a level below on from an yeah. infrastructure standpoint, right? Um, because, like, at the end of the day, although we do a lot of this, like in a, you know, I don't know, data reading and analysis and so on and so forth, at the end of the day, the product that people are interacting with is on the application layer. Um, it is strictly like a DeFi product. Um, whereas Fraxi V2 actually is more similar to a liquid staking protocol in the sense that, um, although you yourself don't have to be a the Node operator or node operator hardware, uh, nor do you directly have to go to France as an entity. Um, but it's it's very similar to like the the systems of like StakeWise V3, where it's like it allows a lot more freedom for people who want to opt into certain operators um, to be able to dictate like their rates and um, how much they want to earn, revenue shares. So that way we're not all monopolized with the Lido 10% rate and, you know, that's kind of end end of day and whatever you know, wherever they can get support for ST, that's kind of it. Like if you want to build your own custom strategies, if you want to build your own custom rates and um, and a kind of share differences and you want to optimize for certain hardware subs or whatever, like you can do that on frac V2. Now, the implication with frac V2 is now frac C3 is like um, a composite representation or like people's positions are a composite representation of either all the validators or like that specific validator they're exposed to. Um, and what that... Introduces is a lot more complexity and being able to understand and actually integrate that product into a lot of the pre-existing DeFi products who are focused on what the traditional method of risk space underlying. And so, what we actually optimize for is, I, I think we're really in a really great position to go to Frax and say, like, hey, if if an individual validator in your system wants to be able to take out a loan and get their position and doesn't want to, you know, um, like socialize their their yields through Frax ETH. Um, As a collective token, or like even the socialized position, you have a whole bunch of different validators and you want to gain access to like large scale, like counterparty liquidity um, without you having to show out token incentives for it um, or as much token incentives for it. Well, this is a perfect platform to enable your users to be able to gain access to that counterparty liquidity with effectively minimal (laughs) overhead on your side. And so that's kind of the thing we really hope to kind of enable for these more kind of like modular um, and kind of more complex provider tech that's being built up.
0: Yeah, like how I envision it is, you know, right now, like we'll propose with FraxEath v2 is you have like the, you know, the, frax, you know, peop, the validators, they put up collateral, uh, there's an interest rate, it's variable, uh, but it's Ugh. economic in, in nature. But like with you guys, basically the underwriting can be like based on the infrastructure itself of yep. you know the validator providers, so I feel like that just unlocks a lot, way more capital efficiency, um, and may, potentially allows like for even like lower collateral thresholds. So instead of being four ETH, maybe it could be like two ETH it's like a really good validator that's been that has a history that's been verified and everything like that.
2: A hundred percent, potentially.
0: Yeah. Um. And my Next it kind question. Of got me thinking, I have. Oh well, wait, kid. Yeah, go ahead, kid. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like a quick question about like. So this got me thinking. When Frax E32 was first announced, it was the place for the highest performing validators to go to. And the users would benefit from that and get like, you know, the best APR. And, you know, the thinking then was like, well, APR would be the only benchmark for us to consider when choosing, you know, a, a validator effectively. But now with your data layer, there's so many more things to account on because this person could be earning the best APR right now but underneath is like their setup is like plugged into so many different things and so many different risk parameters that nobody knows about but they have the highest APR so everyone's just attracted to that and that could lead to like you know really really big problems down the line but with your data later your data layer yeah. everyone would kind of get to to see that so I was thinking like is there a um I'm sorry, a, a different question, but you had mentioned just a couple seconds ago Never. about how you could borrow against the val the validator could borrow against their you know validator holdings. How would that affect the user who received those liquid staking tokens? Like the Frax ETH validator is different from the FRA- frax ETH holder, right?
2: Yeah, so for the person, it, it would be the person who holds the asset that could effectively right. borrow against okay. it. Or what you could do is, uh, you could allow, or what you do is if you built in the layer between, um, you could allow users like to borrow against their bond, right? Because if you have to put up a bond, um, mm-hmm. let's say your bond is like, let's say like 4 e Dave, but yep. we say like, mm-hmm, you know, we think 4 is a bit too steep based on your credit risk profile. We'll actually underwrite one of that. So you can actually take out a one-eth loan against this forty bond that you put up. So you know That's there's cool. potential for a lot of variability like that uh, to exist. Um, another thing that I'd like to point out in kind of this this kind of paradigm is, you know, we talk a lot about these like you know building trustless infrastructure and it's really important and, and all that stuff. But the kind of colloquial thing that we all like know but don't really say is that you know no one is going to pay for it, real estate. Like if if I have to pay more money for this trustless infrastructure, or if I'm taking a hit on my APR because I'm running this trustless infrastructure, like, you know, at the end of the day, like that's, that's how like every node operator that I've chatted with, at least most of them are like, you know, realistically, I'm in it. This is business. I have to be it for the capital. Um, And what I love about Iowa, I love about this design um, is that you can actually align both those things because what does trustless better, more trustless infrastructure enable for you will enable um a better credit risk profile. And what does a better credit risk profile enable for you? More capital efficiency. So now it's economically feasible and you're economically aligned to use and build this better infrastructure because it will actually enable you, your customers and your users to actually gain access to you know better economic outcomes as a result. And that's the thing that we really wanted to kind of import kind of uh, uh, propagate, especially with you know restaking alignment and this idea of building restaking positions um, that are not chasing high APRs because APR is just a small percentage, right? What is more important than the small percentage you earn is the amount of leverage and the amount of capital efficiency you can open up against those positions because that is literally potentially orders of magnitude more value in a shorter time frame, and being able to do that and being able to open that door <laughs> to people who really take the effort to build this trustless infrastructure it's going to be a huge kind of uh unlocking of economic value for those who actually take the effort to really focus on building these robust right. and secure systems
0: let's uh like uh into on that idea that uh leverage and capital efficiency is more important than apr like what do you mean by that can we can you explain that in a little bit more detail
2: yeah 100 so it's the idea that like you know and if we're Assuming, of course, conservative amounts of APR, we're talking like sub-triple digits. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The ability to gain access to capital in the short term, because of like you know the future discount capital, right, is a lot more valuable um, than effectively earning a a fixed or even variable rate within a tight band in the long run, right? A two percent optimization of my APR uh, for staking is worth a lot less than me being able to open up. Um, you know, a 10X position versus like a 5X position because of the LTV that I can enable against my asset because of how secure my validator is, right? Because what is that, you know, that that step between like 5 to 10X and and my position allows me to go use that capital um, to effectively compound my yield or do it to another outlet and say like, okay, I want to hedge against this position. Oh, I want uh, okay. dollar-denominated exposure, right? I can, you know, being able to do that is a lot more valuable than simply saying, okay, I can optimize my, um, like position by or like my yield rate by another fifty basis points, right? If I go, especially when it comes to int- institutional investors, if I go to an institutional investor and say, you're worried about staking because of, um, the credit risk and the the smart contract risk, okay, how about I say I you can open the 95% LTV position against your, uh, your staking position to effectively insure yourself and hedge your position for up to 95% of the value. Because we know that people who run those operators and are, are these like uh, validator systems, and we trust them, right, uh, based on our analysis. Like that is a huge uh, kind of transformation, especially for that type and that demographic of user, of power user who really cares about these large quantities of capital that they're investing in these uh, infrastructure systems. The
0: power I think, of compound interest, everyone.
1: Yeah. I, I think on the validator side, though, that brings up a very interesting point. It's like, yes, it's going to be more expensive for you to run these kind of setups. But the moment you get your validator score, I'm not sure what you guys are going to call it, but like increases, then you effectively could use less of your own ETH and run more nodes, right? Like that's, it's like a, an investment upfront to get that setup, that the whole trust is set up going. And afterwards, you could run X many more nodes because you have a more trusted system. It's like once you show the V card, the validator score, and it's, it's solid, people are just, okay, v yes, card. I'm willing to lend it to you. <laughs> you know, like, I, I, I think it's like, because yeah. then now you just unlock that layer. Like some people may just want to lend you that 28 ETH, but some other people may want to lend you the, the pre, the four ETH that is needed for you to borrow in the first place. You know those guys can then share an even higher yields. So that's the way I think about it. It's like the validator can get leverage on their four ETH, and that's the reason why they should do it. Yeah, and imagine if I'm like,
2: you know, I'm going to lend you that that four or that like three ETH or I guess you're like four ETH bond, and then you're running a system where you can't even access the validator keys and slash yourself if you wanted to. So it's like. From, from a user, I'm like, okay, I feel really secure in this. And, and as a lender, right, for the people who are lending money to these markets, you can be assured that this person is running a better, more secure system. That's probably even more secure than the system that they were running before and with a larger bot, right? Because there's nothing, like, uh, there's nothing more secure than economic value than actually just building setups at you know, which you can't screw up the system. <laughs>
1: right.
0: Yeah. So... What I'm curious about is, you know, we're we're talking about Ion and the ins and outs of it. Um, What are the security risk and economic risks to Ion, and how do you mitigate them?
2: Yeah, so I'd say uh, that's a that's a very um, good question. So (laughs) gotta ask it. Gotta ask it. Yeah, you gotta ask that question. So there's this whole host of risks that exist within restaking platforms that we think about every day because our entire business model is on the basis of us effectively being able to underwrite that. And if we don't, or if we think there are fundamental flaws in the way we're platforms are built, then that means, yeah, that spells due for the protocol. Um, so that's something we think about every day. I can kind of go a little bit more into that, um, but,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, but that's a bit a longer form. Uh, I think like shorter form when we think about, um, kind of security within our own systems i think there's really two things right obviously your, your first is just general smart contract security um and there's kind of like two uh idioms i i i stay by one uh shout out to uh professor Riyadh Wabi for for stating this on one of our amas uh it's the cubist team uh great they built te infrastructure levels guys uh, where he said, less code is better code. <laughs> that's
0: the lefty mantra. So, it's the crypto yeah, mantra. Yeah, that's,
2: that's the mantra. Um, so we, we definitely try to build our systems as lean as possible, especially on the smart contract uh, layer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second one that we really try to live by, and I mentioned a little bit before, is that when it comes to this data provisioning, uh, re- there's no such thing as too much redundancy, right? Um, be- running our own backups is not something we have to do. But we do it anyway because we know that you know if our circuit architecture or the libraries we're using or you know any of the folks that we're working with to build these circuits ends up screwing up, we need to be able to have backups to make sure that we know the true value of what's going on. And then eventually, and the reason why we're open sourcing this tech in the long run is to be able to um, you know have others act as that point of redundancy as well. And I think, you know, minimizing bloat and optimizing for redundancy uh, when it comes to data feeds, like those are the two things that are kind of our like North Star when it comes to security internally. Now, if you want to talk about restaking new platforms and all the, yeah, the exogenous yeah, concerns yeah. there, we can,
0: Yeah, let's that's get a whole nother thing. good. <laughs> we're about to, you know, shift gears here and go into that, um, you know, cause obviously you're close to the icon layer. It's like icon layer is really part of the genesis of Ion protocol. Its origin. So, can you go into a um, few questions here? How are you guys working with yeah. them? What is the mutual beneficial? What is the mutual beneficial relationship between you two? Um, and are there any existential risks surrounding EigenLayer that you're considering in your architecture? And the things that you think about every day.
2: Yeah. Uh, so, how are we working with them? That's that's kind of first one. So, there's some things that works that are um, a little bit largey. They might they might be up on the title episode. We'll see. But just like a little, just a little sprinkle
0: of alpha,
2: uh, a little sprinkle of things that might happen. Um, maybe. So let's say, you know, maybe there there's a need for certain standards for how we represent um, positions in the ecosystem and, and how people can use them. Yeah. Mm. And it's, it's a point to think about, you know, how we built those standards. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. Okay. Um so that's that's one thing. Um, uh, but like generally, you know, for us and, and the way we kind of build the protocol, well, we don't really have too so many dependencies on um on them to build like hard integrations. They don't have dependencies on us to build hard integrations. Um, we're in contact with the team and we chat with them on a frequent basis. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time with the folks uh back in SF at SPC, uh, talking about everything from risk to like the role of DeFi layer and so on and so forth. Um, so, we really keep that, those open channels as much as possible and try and focus on talking about the things that matter most to kind of the restate, the growth of the restaking ecosystem holistically. Um, one thing I will say is um, I'm currently working on, and some of this might be out by the time of uh, this recording, but uh, working on some kind of open source platforms that will integrate some folks from the Agile team that will be kind of an open source, like collaborative uh, vocal platform for people to talk about restaking. Um, and a lot of people who are working on things and restaking across the ecosystem, it will include a podcast too. I just like this. One. Uh, so <laughs> some fun stuff like that will be down the line where you can hear us talk about what, what other builders are building the restaking ecosystem, not just ABSs, but things on top of it, where some of the risks open research questions, uh, things that the EF is thinking about, like a whole bunch of various different topics that I think are, would be really interesting to bring to the light. Um, in terms of, like, the, the mutual, like, beneficial relationship, I think for, and, you know, the idea are really, I recognize this as well, is, like, at the end of the day, in order to be able to uh, create adoption for a new kind of security primitive, there needs to be a way to financialize it to some extent, um, because inherently, you can't repeat proof of stake without uh, repeating the history of how, you know, stake was financialized with, you know, staking uh, derivatives or tokens and so on and so forth. Um. So the, the benefit is, you know, we're able to be that outlet to do all this risk analysis and, and kind of handle all the overhead of, of uh, managing that uh, and building these financial primitives. And they're able to go to their users and say like, hey, you know, um, instead of the choice being you deposit your ETH in IGLAIR or you deposit in, um a, you know, a lending market or an AMM or so on and so forth, right? It's... Well, now you can do both, right? And so you eliminate that kind of decision matrix and that opportunity cost for the user and say, it's not or, it's now and. And you kind of open the door to building a a whole new sector of DeFi as well, um, built on these assets, which I think is really exciting. Um, I think the last thing you you asked was about. Um, wait, was it about um, it was kind of the, uh, the, the ex- risks ex- of
0: yeah existential risks yeah. surrounding EigenLayer restaking and what you're, yeah. how you consider that in building your own architecture?
2: Yeah, so um, the one thing about restaking platforms and you know this includes EigenLayer and, and others I know are building some things uh, is that everyone's really big on permissionless inclusion of every part of the stack. Meaning, any type of restaker can join uh, with the assets are supported. Any type of operator can join the system. Every type, any type of ABS can join the system. Yes, 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 come in, come in. Which is great. Um, The one kind of concern with that is you get the proliferation of a huge principal agent problem because you're effectively any operator who's accepting um, uh, user deposits. Um, or any restaker who is giving user deposits to an operator is effectively giving them an unsecured one. Um, and so, what you're doing is you're giving this capital to an operator, which doesn't require them to have any schema leaking and saying, I really hope you don't slash, but please don't. Right? Uh, and you can imagine there might be ABSs and, and there might be certain designs of systems uh, that's where you know being slashed or Maybe not even being up to spec as much as you would want to be, or an operator should be, um, and it could be really detrimental to restakers. Is something that operators maybe don't care about as much because you know they're not required to put up capital of their own in, the, in these systems. Now ABS has create a standard that ooh, most operators should put up capital of their own, but you know it's a provisional system. You can enforce it. Right, and so some of the things that we think about are kind like these open design decisions around like permissionlessness and like being being able to have anyone run operators run ABSs. Is it introduces a lot of edge case scenarios where you could have people, um, you know, be slashed, or you could have fault or malicious ABSs or malicious operators. It makes it really difficult to believe in the future where um, you know well, anonymous operators can ever be a thing because if you're an anonymous operator holding an unsecured bug. It's always the potential that... Um, just like run away you know. with it. Yeah, not mm-hmm. necessarily run away with it because right. the contract architecture doesn't That's allow true. you to do yeah. so. But, you know, if you if there are secondary markets for bribing certain operators to do certain things and that if you build financial markets on top of things like... Just imagine an, an options protocol um, mm-hmm. that enables uh, speculation on restaking rates and someone puts in a large put on rates... Um, and says, "Well, to an operator, well, if you go and slash that position, I'll share half the profit. This doesn't get tracked anywhere, right?" Um, uh-huh. and the operator's like, "You know, I'm an anonymous operator. <laughs> I have no skin in the game. Not this is none of my capital. Well, I'm, if if there is enough money in there, it might make sense for me to like pack my bags and I'm all I'm all good. Even though you know there there was never, um, you know, even though you you'll lose out on the future value, well. Yeah, there's no way to for for people to really track you and also uh there's uh so much capital in the system that effectively um you could be you know uh like now you've been punished and and could subsist without needing to uh to kind of do this again so there there are concerns with kind of trusted parties and how we think about trust in the system and, and when i look at it from an underwriter and i see like okay you know i have these operators that i effectively have to trust to not purposely default on these loans well that's something that's really difficult um, to do right so you know we're, we're thinking about ways of you know standardizing certain hardware setups is a standard requiring standard and accepting only certain standards for how people run operator setups and things of that nature um but yeah it, it's something that you know is not a solved question and it's something we will have to think about. Yeah. It so, sounds um, like there must
0: be a lot of things that keep you up at night.
2: <laughs> yes, constantly. Um, actually, uh, something, something I'm actually, something we're going to write soon uh, is a potential design for restakeable platforms and Agilera in particular that could minimize this risk, uh, which mm-hmm. I call containerization. Uh, so, but, but we'll see uh, yeah. whether that that comes to
0: fruition. You should definitely do it. Yeah, and yeah, would love to read that. Um, and also um, somebody else who has been thinking a lot about restaking risk is none other than Vitalik himself. Several months ago, he wrote a piece warning against unchecked restaking could pose a systematic risk to Ethereum. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I remember particularly uh, he used the example of the Brazilian presidential election um, and it comes. <laughs> um, I love Brazil. Big fan, <laughs> so I was yes. happy. happy uh, he uh, he chose that. Um, it's fun, but it's really funny coincidence. When I I interviewed Quart um, when yeah. I was in Brazil, we actually didn't interview with oh, Gwart. Right. Was, We oh, did an sure. interview with Quart himself. Um, actually like before we get into the Vitalik question what are your thoughts on Gwart I think it's one of the funniest accounts and like his commentary oh on I think it's hilarious. he's hilarious so great funny. <laughs> I feel like so I feel like everyone
2: in the restaking ecosystem kind of takes it a little bit too so, seriously seriously yeah yeah oh, for sure I love I love the comedic <laughs> spin. I, I think it's fantastic <laughs> yeah right.
0: it's like oh wow like the Burning Man coincided with the restaking like did they think about the restaking <laughs> this and that this and that but shout out yeah. Gwart we love you uh, keep up with what you're doing. But yeah, so that, but back. Um, so he was talking about the Brazilian presidential election. If, like, there's, like, it's a contentious election and, you know, the chain splits uh, at, like, you know, the real or, what you know, to, like, Brazil A and Brazil B. Um, and Did I thought it was, like, really interesting because we, like you said, we haven't had a mass slashing gosh. event uh, on Ethereum. And I'm sure, like, we will. Like, come I feel like it's definitely, like, in the future, Might happen. It, it may happen, right. may not happen. Like, I feel like, you know, considering like all the things that happened in the past in crypto, like, I would, like, yeah. I, was, I can't imagine everything that can't be imagined just happens. So, um, what are your thoughts on, you know, Vitalik's article and like, and on all that? Yeah. So, I think he makes
2: a good, uh, good point about social consensus. I think, um, but the thing I think is really important to remember when it comes to kind of what he's talking about is that. This dilemma doesn't exist, doesn't purely exist only with the invention of restaking, right? Um, social pressures to fork the chain could occur for a variety of reasons. I think another good example is like if USDC decided, okay, like we don't like a certain upgrade, we're going with a certain canonical chain. I think that would put a lot of pressure. Um, if, you know, there's a coalition of DeFi protocols where like, or let's say, you know, you had a problem where a lot of value was sitting in certain protocols and, uh, you know, you had a problem with centralized price feeds and you create a centralization of capital with a few holders, you have know, you would have a lot of social pressure to revert the state. Um, I think, like, the the thing with IBLA, well, Eidolair does in particular, is it creates a standardized methodology for building these incentives, right? These incentives mm. kind of just came naturally as we just created to, dependencies yeah yeah um but like what vitalik is really talking about is call is a oh, kind of the combination of two different factors um exogenous dependencies on um that ethereum depends on and then those exogenous dependencies securing a lot of economic value and i think like what Aigler does is you, you hear that and you're like Aigler perfectly fits the bill, but a lot of things also fit that bill. Aigler is just a, a thing of restaking platforms in general because I just don't want to construct Aigler. It Other iterations of pretty much any restaking will probably do this um, or cause this effect, which just standardizes a method for people for that phenomenon to occur, right? Um, and I do think yeah, we do need act checks on kind of how we think about constructing restaking cloud platforms to to um, to be able to mitigate that risk. Um, so, you know, Aguilar currently in its iteration or like current iteration has the veto multi which I think is a good first start. I think um, building standards for uh, multi prover systems, um, being able to mitigate uh, like automated slashing events um, and then decreasing the dependence on like a, you know, manual multi-sig would be great if you just had like multi-proofer verification systems. Um, redundant, you know, data streams for slashable events that can be open sourced in that, uh you know operators could run as part of their hardware um i think would be fantastic um there, there's a lot of kind of various different things you could do that mitigate that risk um but yeah I, I, it's a valid one which i but i think we should we should consider it in the in common sense that like this is not something that doesn't exist currently. Um, yeah it would and, exist
0: without with or without eigenlayer, eigenlayer exactly, just standardizes yeah. um it basically exactly yeah okay got it um yeah, it's it's also fascinating. I feel like, you know, restaking seems like the, the final economic frontier for Ethereum at the infrastructure <laughs> level. And then like after that you just get into like roll ups and like sequencers and like that. Yeah, those just just economic. wait to
2: just wait till uh, Pepsi maybe exists. With Pepsi? Um, Pepsi pro uh, protocol enforced proposer commitments. Uh, for those of you should look up Barnaby's FHU about, it. it's great. Wait what, what is, um, let's get into
0: it. What's Pepsi?
2: Yeah. Pepsi, uh, bar, you know, those guys are probably spending a lot better than I can, but high level Pepsi is just uh, effectively a way for, well, you can think of it as like um, in protocol, like protocol enshrined methodologies of enforcing proposers to commit to certain actions. So effectively, you could tell a proposer, like, um, you know, if you opt in to this, uh, you know, Pepsi scheme, like you're required to, you know, order blocks a certain way. Um, and then you'll get slashed and right? Uh, um, so you can create uh, effectively, like, um, well, slashing isn't necessary, but that's a possible thing you could implement, right? So you could effectively build a pseudo-like protocol and try and yeah. Could be possible. You could also protocol and try things like PBS. Um, or like ePBS is technically actually a, a precursor to Pepsi, but um, they, they kind of go hand in hand. Um, you could do things like dbt, uh, with it. Um, yeah. A lot of pretty interesting, you know, like uh, infrastructure primitives could be like protocol and trying to Well,
0: we got to dive into that a bit more, Kent. That's the first time I heard of that one. Oh, is he, did you freeze up again? I don't know. I think he's frozen. Frozen. <laughs> uh, but um, okay, now um, here's another question that's on everyone's mind. It's been on the timeline. Your people complain about it. You know what I'm going to ask. Lido, <laughs> people yeah. are like they're yeah. about to hit thirty-three uh, percent. You know, people who about are about to con- do that for a while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's in anticipation. I've had my dopamine really like really, so That's about to happen. Lido, like about to like hit thirty-three percent. Um, but like, what are your thoughts on Lido's dominance in the LST space? Uh, does it pose a threat to Ethereum neutrality? And do you think Lido's doing anything long, wrong? Or, you know, they're just, in set, you know, as a protocol, they're just incentivized to like get as many tokens as possible. So, like.
2: Yeah. You know. So I, I do think, and, you know, I'm not sure if Sasha says this blatantly. I've never seen him say it blatantly, but he might have. I could have just missed it. But I, I very much do think that, you know, um, and, to, and to a certain extent, every protocol founder definitely feels this that, you know, if. It's, it's definitely not their jurisdiction to uh completely control the second order effects of the protocol and ecosystem especially one of lido's dominance um, now CERN founders I'm sure feel that in to different extents um hence why some are self limiting but again all those who are agreeing to self limit definitely do not have this market share
0: um, that's, so the, that's they, what we always yeah, talk about they, in the- They would probably,
2: they might say a different thing if it's in the same position,
0: right? Power corrupts, Uh, absolute power corrupts, absolutely.
2: uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) Do I think that Lido poses an essential risk to Ethereum as it exists currently, or as it exists? I think currently, yes. And the reason why is... um, and it's a personal opinion, but I think you know, thirty node operators is not enough to run the amount of state that they're operating. People say, Oh, like, you know, every Lido node operator doesn't even control more than like one and a half percent of the stake on Ethereum and now, like that is way more than one percent is an insane number, in my opinion. Right? Yeah, that that's um, nuts. It's ridiculously large. Um exposure to that much risk. Um, from an operator overhead standpoint is enormous. Um, That's not something I think is ideal. Now, could Lido ever get to a point where their system is a bit more risk mitigated um, and I think is more aligned with the centralization ethos of Ethereum? 100%. Would it require uh, doing a lot of work along the lines of the infrastructure work that I've been talking about? Uh, during this entire time? Yes. Uh would it require being able to push decentralized node operator inclusion um, as like one of the largest priorities of of, of infrastructure? Yes.
0: For X C V two.
2: Exactly. Right. Um I think at an end state, if they were to build the most optimized provider from a decentralization standpoint, like if they, you know, I have certain gripes with the Pool architecture as well, which was a lot closer to RockyPool's architecture as it exists today, I'd feel a lot more comfortable about where Lido is currently. I do think the, the people who are stating that Lido is a system, a network of 30 completely independent node operators... Um, of course independent have no aligned interests with each other to do anything of the sort with the amount of stake that they control in ethereum i think is it's a bit of a hyperbole and let's let's be honest about kind of centralization to that scale um but i do think that like those who are saying that you know the provider or validator capital can't be centralized into a single provider um, at all, period, I think it's also just a misappropriation of how we think about Lido's architecture and provider architecture currently. I think it's an end state. I think 100% you could see if there was a robust enough provider that built enough safeguards for uh, such a standpoint, it would be totally feasible for it to be centralized within a single provider.
0: Mm. Is What can we do um, to check Lido's dominance?
2: Well, the reason why Lido is dominant, and also the other thing that I'm not sure other people really realize, is two things. One, the base APR that Lido provides is highest because they have so much stake. One, and they have the most perform some of the most performing node operators. You know, Frank Seath does. Apple pizza. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, so that's one part of it, right? But the second part of it, which is again an economic reason, the second part of it is Lido essentially mostly has a monopoly on all of the DeFi from when it comes to yeah. integrations. And so as a user, you can't, it, it's it's really hard to go tell a user, just, just as it is really hard to go tell a node operator to like take a hit on running like more trustless infrastructure, like for example, just DP, right? Um, it's really hard to go to a staker and say, well, I want you to forego half your yield or a quarter or even 10% of your yield um, to go to this other solution because decentralization, and it's like that doesn't—that's
0: not, not enough of an argument. And this is what you right. were saying before about uh, capital efficiency uh, versus APR. Like you're, you, you want to get the most out of the capital that you have, and the fact that
2: exactly,
0: yeah, and the fact that Lido is integrating all these DeFi protocols allows you know users and institutions to do that. Like a big like thing that has been a topic in the Frax Telegram is like people ask like oh where's the Chainlink oracle where's the Chainlink oracle and for some reason there's not a <laughs> Chainlink oracle for S-Frax ETH even though it's in the top five of uh, LST protocols and you know the set the team has like, tried they've kind of just, I'm not sure what's going on in Chainlink land about it um, the Frax team has built their own oracle their own S-Frax ETH oracle it's integrated yep. into of Fraxland and if protocols want to integrate the oracle they can but you know, like everybody like wants Chainlink. So it's just like, hasn't happened yet. And it's been a real point of like aggravation for just Frax protocol and community. Cause it has prevented us from being integrated in all these different protocols, which is like just, and it's just like, it exactly. allows, allows for Lido's dominance. So if like people are like actually serious about, you know, like something that we can do to like, you know, lessen their dominance. Like why don't we get S-FraxEath into Chainlink? That's just like such a small thing. And like, once that happens, then boom, But I like, think- yeah.
2: Yeah, but I think the real question we should be asking is why are we depending on Chainlink to King make who can be the best liquid staking? Provider, yeah, like right? what? Yeah, right? we should be building systems that you can, anyone can integrate. Anyone should be able to, you know, open source to use like our trusted like zk, uh, state proof oracle to effectively say like, well, I know the redemption value of any provider. So if you want to go use it, just take it for a repo. Just go apply it to your lending. Platform. Go apply it to your. Your um, you know, C D P is sure. Go apply to whatever. And it's more right?
0: capital efficient as well. Exactly.
2: <laughs> and it's like that also one of the other reasons why we built am was the fact that we saw that Lido had huge dominance, but their dominance was on the basis that anyone else who is in using ST is taking an economic impact or like an economic hit from it. It's like Lido will not be the most secure and capital-efficient asset, or ST won't be the most capital-efficient asset in the market for a variety of reasons that is all directly tied to credit risk underwriting. Um, And so it opens up the door for these more performance and secure validators and providers to go to their users and say, well, if we can, you know, if we're accepted onto ION or if we're accepted onto other DeFi protocols that build within the same ethos as ION, we actually provide our users a more um, economic incentive to use our protocol over lido and that's something that doesn't really exist right now
0: yeah i feel like there's you know you probably see this too, a lot of a uh, theater decentralization theater a lot of you know people like you know like oh like self-limit like no you got to build and like yeah. how your guys are thinking and how the Frax team thinks is we have to build the incentives for people to like want to take those actions like to want exactly. to like, build like a trusted system so like want to choose you know, one protocol over another, um, and that's just so important. And people just like want to take the easy right, way out. And the easy way out is like just saying, "Hey, like we're gonna self-limit." Like, no, you got to take the, like the yeah. hard way and build a better product.
2: 100. percent Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's how how Sasha probably. So I he's probably these like, guys just gotta build better products. I'm sorry.
0: I mean, yeah, it's true. Like, you got to build like a better product. Yeah. And I have to. Like, you got to give it to the Lido team. Um, phenomenal execution. Like launched right when the Beacon Chain launched. Um, was able to like to, you know, they just had the highest yield. They were able to get the integrations early. Like they, they, and they weren't the only uh, LST around, like Rocket Pool has been around for a long time. And I'm sure Anchor, there are like plenty of others. Bifrost. Bifrost, hell, people were like concerned about exchanges for a long time. You being the dominant LST holders, like Binance and Coinbase and whatnot, which would have been even way like worse. <laughs> like, oh yeah, 100%. Yeah, but like, I'll take Lido over them. I think, a... Yeah, I think like, all of us say <laughs> like Lido over, over them as well. But I think like what we all want is like, you know, someone to give Lido a run for their money. It's like, at the, yeah. at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, that's, that's yeah. what we Hopefully want. Hopefully
2: we can, we can oh, help yeah. get some fighters yeah. in the ring. That's yeah. the goal. <laughs> and like the,
0: the positive sum nature uh, that we're all espousing you know you being open source and what you're building an layer, and also just how like frax's eth- ethos is like it is possible like there is like enough like juice to like get us to get us there
2: yeah yeah That's
0: yeah um and so that my next question i have about ion is uh how does ion achieve sustainability and how does it become profitable we're getting to the business part Ah, uh, business part fun the business part yeah the um, most
2: fun. well i mean the the fun part about kind of lending protocols is like the the play hooks there right yeah. um you know if we can undercharge on rates that means there's room for um a spread on rates Get right so it's revenue right yeah. um liquidations are commonly a source of revenue um mm-hmm there is product things that we're going to build in the future which could also generate revenue through rates and fun things like building short-term bonds um oh, so uh, utilize oh, whoa yeah. you can build
0: bonds can we get into that yeah
2: bonds well, well, rate you... swaps rate derivatives a whole, a whole bunch of oh, fun stuff I mean, so could,
0: you can have like a rate swap on uh, like a exchange like hourglass or something
2: yeah, yeah, yeah maybe, maybe maybe on hourglass. So uh, listen, no, no, no. listen. <laughs> and like, uh, I'm just
0: speculating here. I'm just speculating. Yeah,
2: just just pure speculation here. Um yeah. but yeah, no, there there are a lot of really interesting ways you could build products on top of this core like underwriting and lending platform, which uh there are pretty obvious ways you could generate revenue from. Yeah. Um I think like that's that's optimally our goal. Like, you know, we announced and raised uh, a pre seed round for the Let's team. <laughs> um, but, well, you know, that end state, you know, we want to limit as much outside capital um, and outside equity that has a hand in the protocol as we can, right? It's it's our goal to, to get to a point where ideally we can self-sustain you without think. the dependency on external capital to be to be able to support us. <laughs> that so. should be
0: the goal of every protocol, <laughs> honestly, just to be a self-sustaining yeah. business.
2: Yeah, that's such wow. In, we, yeah. Especially <laughs> in these high interest
0: rates environments. Uh,
2: yeah, we we hope we yeah. hope, yeah.
0: Um I have a, one last question and then I think we're going to like wrap up go to the lightning round. Um, I love lightning
2: rounds. Yeah. Let's do it.
0: And so um what is the roadmap both immediate and in the future for Ion and can users expect a governance framework at some point? Can they expect some responsibility of some sort in the Ion protocol? Yes. Yeah.
2: Yes. Good question. so um, yes governance eventually um governance so ah uh, we'll see <laughs> uh, no no problems just there um before that yeah um but let's see when it comes to roadmap though, we'll start there uh um uh, before end of year ideally well before end of year ideally actually i'll say mainnet before dev connect there you go
0: mainnet uh, before right. dev connect you heard it here yes. first on Flywheel. Uh, you be say this song you yeah. got uh, your alpha
2: <laughs> yeah there you go there you go mainnet before Connect. i'll say that is, as much well, as for sure uh we'll have some fun we'll have ideally two products out uh by the end of the year this is the plan with us. um and so you can look forward to supporting uh and when we launch we'll have support for restaking positions as well as some of your favorite lsts um We'll have uh, some fun kind of external things that people can interact with, whether or not to like, you know, you, you're a searcher or a liquidator looking to uh, interact with our platform uh, as you're looking to help in certain positions. like we'll, we'll kind of have a little bit of uh, something for everybody participating. Um And that will be rolling out uh, before the end of the year, um, for sure. I, I- um, in terms of after that, uh, what does it look like, you know, the goal of course is to kind of broaden our support on um Mainnet and within that ecosystem and the restaking ecosystem and accepting other restaking platforms and um <laughs> as they come out. Uh the other thing will be to uh kind of support other proof of stake networks into the future as well. And that's gonna become a priority um mm.
0: uh
2: in the, the coming year is you know, all the value a lot of the value exists in, on Ethereum. But there are other kind of bursting networks which effectively have a similar system, right? In which yeah. um, we can also kind of replicate uh, our like platform, whether first, or not those yeah, the, are on L twos or you know O-chains The first
0: thing but, that I thought of, actually, like even before you said that, was Bear Chain. I feel like <laughs> like used fun fact, actually, fun history
2: fact. Yeah. Um, The original idea for Ion, I say so I said before that the current idea for Ion was inspired by Eigenlayer, which is true. Um, the original idea for Ion before it is what it is now, was inspired for bear chain. Uh
0: what was the original idea?
2: Uh proof of liquidity as a service. The idea of like Uh, uh, being able to spin up like smaller pools of proof of liquidity for specific uh like middleware and different like iterations of middleware.
0: Do you see it going full circle and working with the bear boys? at some point oh, I mean I've I,
2: bought to it That's, yeah. I, I think there's totally a path to I, that uh, um, yeah
1: yeah
0: well Smokey and Dev Bear, if you're listening like you know hit them up or I, I'll make an intro I'll make an intro <laughs> oh yeah.
2: yeah oh I, I know those guys I oh, you know uh, those guys yeah. At least, yeah I'm sure I was a decent amount of times um, okay. I've yeah I know MVP MVP um, yeah, oh, we, yeah we, 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 we... we got yeah we got a chat um when it makes sense we will definitely work together yeah. I think right now you know they're they're yeah. building out their infrastructure we're building out our as well but once everything mm-hmm. kind of comes into fruition um, yeah. you know ideally it would ideally become full circle
0: I call MVP like because he's, he's such a worker it's like the concierge of the bear chain ecosystem he's like at like everyone's like call and like he's giving support so shout out MVP <laughs> yeah.
2: shout out MVP
0: um, yeah and shout out all the bear boys and shout out Eigenlayer shout out everyone we're going to the lightning round um for right now let's do it uh first kit has been a bit laggy so i'm just gonna take the question first question is um when did you first touch the chain what was your first on-chain experience first on-chain experience
2: was not on ethereum but was building a bitcoin mining rate with my
0: dad when i was 12 that's wholesome father-son bonding catches. (laughs) some people have catches. <laughs> yeah.
2: That was my introduction to crypto. I, I mentioned that I got introduced crypto when I was twelve. It yeah. was my dad trying to build a Bitcoin money, and I was helping. Him.
0: Yeah. Um, next, are you are you around? Oh shit! Are you you want to ask the next one? Next one? Um, no, he's still laggy. Um, no, it's going. Yeah. Uh, next question. Uh, oh no, I'm here.
2: Nah, I had to see shit. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: oh, I remember what it was. What is your favorite? off-chain activity what do you do to touch grass
2: what do i do to touch grass Ooh, yeah. okay so i i do something that doesn't touch grass was one of my favorite off-chain uh things i do something that is a bit more touching grass yeah. um if you're an thing that's not touching grass uh i am a super smash brothers advocate i love playing that game um i play elite and for anyone out there uh who wants to run get get the ones on in elite smash let's do it um is- yeah but for round, right? Captain Falcon Rain, secondary Falco. Let's do I mean, it. Captain Falcon, Falcon um, yeah, punch. Falcon do, main. I mean, yeah. He doesn't have that
0: good of a jump, but his like Captain like his punch is just so lethal. Like right yeah, timing. Well, of it? I
2: mean the the yeah. If you get the right timing, it, it's a good it's a good uh uh or it's a good uh, confidence destroyer get you, yeah. do you Do
0: you do you play on like sixty four or GameCube or something else?
2: Oh no, uh, I play, uh, yeah, I play uh, Ultimate. yeah, I play Ultimate. Ultimate. Yeah, Ultimate. okay, got it. Wow, I've been playing ever since uh game to Bill. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've, like yeah, I've been playing since kid. I was have been playing.
0: I've been playing since sixty four and I still play sixty four. <laughs> <I still have, laughs> like we still rip the sixty four, honestly. And I, yeah. but uh That's um, so much fun.
2: Yeah. Yeah, the favorite <laughs> such grass one. Uh I love uh bart- Um making drinks. It's love I have a bartending. bar set up yeah, I have a bar set up in my room and I just like
0: What's your
2: go to drink? Go to drink? Um, I'd say usually, like nowadays, re- recently, uh, Corpse Survivor number two. Uh, it's used in my Like what What's drink. that? Um, and it's like absolute Therese, uh lemon juice. Um, yeah, and it's gin base. Um, and we it's some marishan of sherry, usually. Uh, uh. Yeah, and it's delicious. Um, as well as. Also, so. Um, but yeah, yeah I'm delicious. a bourbon
0: guy do you make any bourbon drinks
2: bourbon drinks um yeah I mean there's I mean a lot of drinks where you could substitute bourbon uh um, oh, yeah. I think like you know some people make old fashioned with bourbon I'm more of yeah. a low whiskey guy right um, you're supposed
0: to have bourbon yeah. neat anyway so
2: yeah like yeah. I'd pr- i rather drink bourbon neat or yeah like, same yeah on the box like I actually once did a bourbon tasting thing once where they, they oh me too um, yeah is so, yeah. so much fun. Where'd I didn't really it? realize how much like variability. built. It was an SF, actually.
0: Oh, it was an SF, okay, I did mine in Louisville. No. I went to the Evan Distillery. So
2: you, you, went to the, you went to the source. I yeah. went to the
0: source, and they, they, are, they are proud, I can tell you that much. They, yeah. they did, oh, no, they did, they they did their job, they made me a bourbon guy. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> it was like after that, I you converted got you. they converted me. Um, okay, next question. Um, what would be advice to your younger self?
2: Ooh, advice to my younger self is so many things. Um one thing actually, yeah, yeah. So here's the one thing I would say that I've done a lot more uh now. Um, and that's if I take what helped me do this and start this company is um focus focus on one thing at a time. Like don't spread yourself too thin. I think a lot of the ones I, I did when I was younger, um I tried to do too much uh, at once, and sometimes I do diluted myself across like the things that I, that I want to focus on mm-hmm. um and you know I, I kind of lost on a lot of productivity on a lot of that feed so some allergy you know against like um, as a byproduct um, and in the times in my life that I made the decision to focus on one thing, it has turned out. I mean, this is it, a good It sounds example. like you're giving me
0: advice. <laughs> this is the thing I try to tell myself the most. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. And um, last question. Um, who do you want to see on Flywheel next? Who would you recommend as a guest?
2: Ooh, who would I recommend on a Flywheel next? Ooh, that's so interesting. You want, you want what, a, a fabric? Uh, any, you
0: anybody you thing? find interesting. Anybody you think would make a good guest?
2: Uh, Actually, you, are you about to post for people I I
0: haven't. I haven't, but I'd really like to because they're the only other ones I had like a light bulb in my head.
2: Yeah, I think they would be fantastic to have on. I'd recommend. I would make the intro. I think they'd be down to it. Yeah,
0: definitely Um, would be down for that. Especially after this interview would be a really good follow up interview. And whenever somebody uh, recommends a guest, they're always phenomenal. So like, Eh, the word goes along. It helps us. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Tell them, uh, to just just push them on rave. I'll give you all the details. Yeah. Oh, we're, we're
0: <laughs> rave. Pod, yeah. I'm gonna tell yeah. them, Like realizing alternative visions for Ethereum. That's what. That's <laughs> 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 actually um, my my one of my favorite DJs, Hugh Jones. He has a song called Rave, and it actually stands it for is? realizing alternative visions for Earth. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. False. Uh, yeah, nice.
2: yeah. Is it about it's, like environmentalism, or is that nothing to do? Um, a little,
0: a little, not really. Maybe. Well, just, I think it's just more of just like general, just commentary. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know. He, awesome. he's, he's phenomenal. He's my favorite artist. Um, okay. I'm going to be there in LA seeing him. So if anybody's in LA and wants to see G. Jones, I'll be at that show. He'll be playing with E. Um, so. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Anyways, um, that's it. Uh, for this episode, we're wrapping up. I can, I mean, Ion Protocol. Same thing. Same thing. are literally the same thing. We're, we're wrapping up. we up. Ion Protocol. Tuned which- oh, to McCain himself. I th- thank you so much for coming on. Hope to see you soon, uh, and hope to see you back on the Pond Pod and in real life. Yeah. yeah sure. Thanks. See you guys. Later. <laughs> man, that was a hot one. I'm just fanning myself because that was a whole lot of information on this episode of Flywheel. This is the post game. I'm DeFi Dave. I'm here with Capital K. Um, and uh, Yeah, Tuna well, I have to say Tuna is one of the most articulate people I know in the space. I feel like when he talks talks it feels like a warm, intelligent blanket that just is like over my body. I'm just like I'm just I I I trust this guy. I think this this guy, like he has the right vision. He he knows how to build. And even though I mean, like I, I probably, I understood a good amount of the interview and like the direction that he's going, but I like trust him as a builder and someone who's experienced in the industry To And like, you know, it's been around for a bit, even though he's young, he's been around for like a while. Um, I, I'm like bullish. I'm bullish Chunda, I'm bullish Chunda. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah,
1: there's, um, you know, there's not a lot of like, you know, pods that I feel out of depth in, but this podcast mm. in particular, this session, I definitely felt a little bit out of depth. And I learned a ton because yeah. this is an area in crypto that I am fairly weakened, I would say, but it was great yeah. to get an inside look on how someone who's literally building one of the key LST5 infrastructures are doing today. And what mm-hmm. it could look like in the future. So this was a good one for me. I probably had to go back and listen again, uh, definitely mm-hmm. to some of the answers, because I was a little fuzzy on certain parts. But I definitely mm-hmm. am, am very yeah. happy that we I, have I, them on. And when they launch, I, I, I got to see, I got to see, gotta, we got to bring them back on to talk about post-launch, like Reflection. Are they,
0: they launched, they launched, or they have like beta out. Oh, okay. I see. I see. I thought they—they they haven't fully rolled out everything yet, right? Not fully everything, but they're in the process of launching. They're doing, you know, the whole road tour. Um, so you know, media tour and everything oh, in between. So happy to get them on. Um, big fan of Chunda. I am biased, though. <laughs> I, I, uh, was I met Chunda originally at Zuzulu um, uh, in Montenegro, and ended up putting a small oh. angel check there yeah so obvious bias disclosure (laughs) disclosure (laughs) disclosure disclosure disclosure. um but yeah no but like honestly we'll we'll see how the market and builders react to ion um you know very you know everything's moving in the wave of lsts and building around financial infrastructure validator infrastructure um credit risk models methodologies Mm -hmm. like that's probably like the the part that, like, really got to me, like, how do you, like, measure measure risk in these LSDs, like, properly and properly underwrite them? Um, you know, it's a mighty challenge ahead. Um, and, like, they were saying, like, yeah, like, somebody could, like, a big protocol can go fork them. But there's such a lift to, like, all the stuff they have to do. Like, and also the Aves and Oilers and whatnot of the world have, like, already, like, They're they're such big machines already. Like, they're not going to, like, focus on this small area right now. And that's to uh, Ion Protocol's advantage. So uh, good to have Tuna on. Uh, Excited to see where it goes in the future. And if you want to keep up with everything uh, we have our eye on in the future here at Flybow DeFi, make sure you subscribe, hit the bell button, let us know what you think in the comments, leave us a like, follow us on Twitter, TikTok, and join our Telegram at Flybo DeFi, all three platforms. Make sure you subscribe. Uh, yeah, subscribe. Subscribe to our newsletter, flywheeldefi.com. It uh, really helps. It really you know, helps. Please. Yeah. Access access acquire a key to access our friend tech for exclusive show notes at Flywheel You can follow me on Twitter at DeFi Day22. Follow me at zero x capital underscore k. And we will see you next week. Peace sharing my way out of here a shout out chuck beard thank you for the fan everything said on this episode is not financial or tax advice this channel is strictly for educational purposes and it's not in investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell any assets or to make any financial decisions this video is not tax advice whatsoever please talk to your accountant and do your own research